We had just covered uh, what I consider the heart of this epistle, and that is uh, what really constitutes Philadelphia. And the first thing was that she had a little power, and we uh, divided that into member power and life power, right? And I think all of us, uh, uh, at least I, I really uh, felt something... Uh, of being in the Lord's presence when we touch this matter of uh, a little power. This is God's heart's desire. Actually, this little power, when seen as the body, when seen as a member, etc., is really the most powerful thing spiritually that this earth has ever seen. The little power is the greatest of all powers, okay? So we just have to have a spiritual insight to see that, okay? Uh, then right after that uh, we saw the matter of life power versus uh, things that are big, miraculous and only happen occasionally right, this is, uh, this is member uh, not member, this is life power and uh, life has to be seen for what it is Christians at some point in their, in their experience have to realize that God is not a person to just keep pulling them out of one crisis or another. That He is a God who wants to rot Himself into their being so that they may express Him as life and all that He is. So this is what happened to Paul. Paul got bailed out at many times, but there came a time here in 2 Corinthians when the Lord says, no more bailing out for you, Paul. From now on, you get life power. See, we have to come to this point. Even an apostle has to come to this point. The big things are not the main things. It's the power to express and represent Him that really counts. Then uh, we covered, you have kept my word. And there uh, we saw how we have to know the word to keep it. We, we want to be known as people of the word. Uh, people that know the word. So that, so that uh, regardless of what people think of us uh, negatively, they have to admit that our stand is based on scripture. As long as, as, long as we can have the satisfaction of knowing we stand on revealed truth, then it really doesn't matter what other people say. Do you think Jesus cared about what men said? Or did He care about what God said? See? He, he, he didn't... He was not double-minded. He had a very simple way of uh, expressing and representing the Father, right? He just stuck to every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. That was His food. Right. So, uh, as long as this attitude is uh, invoked, then we see we're keeping the Lord's word. The brethren of the uh, previous century were really faithful to the Lord's word until the time that it became just dead knowledge. Then I wouldn't say that's keeping the word. To keep the word is not just to do it. It's to receive it into you so that it becomes part of you and it becomes something you can be faithful to, uh, not as black and white, but as an expression of your living. This is a testimony. This is keeping the Word in a living way. Of course, uh, uh, needless to say, in these verses here where in Mark 7 where the Lord rebuked these people for keeping the commandments of men and neglecting the commandments of God, they were in serious error, weren't they? Uh, and when we say that we have to keep the Word, 
This implies that if it's written in the Word and the Lord reveals this, which He has done inexorably, uh, step by step, almost uh, uh, church historians have, have used expressions like uh, truth has not just you know flooded upon us all at once. It's been pounded out of the church for two millenniums now. We've just inched our way along, you see. And one of those millenniums was the dark ages of the Roman Catholic Church when the Bible was not available. So, uh, of course, we weren't making progress. We were going backwards, right? We were into the pagan things uh, being incorporated into the Christian things. This was not right. So, the commandments of men have to go. That means we have to take what? the authority of the Word of God. So, all Christians have to ask themselves this question. Am I and am I in a place where if there is a conflict between the way things are done or practiced now and the way the Word of God reveals it, am I flexible and am I in a place that is changeable enough to adjust itself to the Word of God or are we stuck in a traditional way? If you're stuck, that's not Philadelphia. If you are capable of being adjusted to meet the progressive revelation of the Word of God as it has come through church history, then you are in the, on the line of Philadelphia. I think this is clear, right? Okay, then this brings us to the third point, which I believe is a big point uh, that characterizes Philadelphia, and that's number nine where it says, you have not denied my name, okay? And I want all of us to really uh, get this. I feel like this is a uh, most strategic point when the Lord says to them, you have not denied my name. Uh, he's not just saying that they uh, identify themselves as Christians rather than as Buddhists or agnostics or atheists or something like that. No. This here has some real deep significance. Okay, so I want you to be impressed with the name of Christ, the name of the Lord Jesus, and the fact that we have to be people who never do anything to damage that name. Not even to mar it a little. Not even to nick it. It must be held preeminently, supremely, and in an unblemished way. The name of the Lord Jesus Christ is the name. Uh, this is why, if I could, well, let me, let's, let's just read some verses here because I wanted to try to put some verses that would be impressive. Acts 3.16 says, And by faith in His name... His name has made this man strong, whom you behold and know. And the faith which is through him has given him this perfect soundness before you all. Now, you may not realize this, but to me, this verse shows a big point because it says, and by faith in his name... Isn't this a funny statement? His name has made this man strong. Yeah. His name did it. What does this mean to you? His name did it. His, his, his name made a man who was weak strong. What happened? 
Do you understand my question? See? This shows his name is not a trick. It's not a gimmick. It's not something we tack on at the end of a prayer and say, right. in Jesus' name I pray, amen. It's not that. This means, do you think Christ is the one that made him whole? Yes. Yes. Obviously. It was a person. So this shows that the name of Christ is just his person. It's not an adjunct to him. It's not a plus to add on to him. It is his person. His name is himself. Okay, that's what I want you to clearly realize. That's why we take the name of Jesus so seriously and we take the encroachment upon that name by any other name very seriously. This is, this is, if it's not serious to you, believe me, it is serious to God. Okay, so we have to be those who really see, love, and appreciate the name of the Lord. Okay, now, in Acts 4.12, it says, and there is no salvation in any other, that means any other name. For neither is there another name under heaven given among men in which we must be saved. Amen. See, here, salvation, Paul brings out a uniqueness to Christ. In other words, there's, there's only one way. There's only a uniqueness. And if you want to be saved, there's only a, a, a name God selected. That's the name given under heaven, on, on the, under, the, right. under all the heavens. There's only one name that can afford salvation. Amen. That is the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. How uh, uh, a person is appreciated on this earth if they have not attached themselves uh, for salvation to this name, then uh, in the final washout, they have nothing. And they are nothing. They are just losers. Okay? So... Don't be overly impressed with things. Uh, there will be a day when everything under the umbrella of this name will be uh, acknowledged by God and everything else will right. be sternly dismissed. That's right. Okay. So uh, here you have to see the uniqueness. We have to say this. Christ, Christ is unique. There is no other name through which we must be saved. And Christ in the New Testament is revealed as our everything. He is all-inclusive. He's our salvation, right? He's our life. He's our faith. He's our patience. He's our love. He's our hope. He's any virtue. He's any attribute that we could think of. That is Christ. When Paul said, Christ lives in me, uh, that says it all. There's nothing else to add. You don't say, Christ lives in me plus some virtues occasionally live in me, plus something else lives in me. No, when you say Christ lives in you, that is the totality it. of it. Of it. That's right. See? So, He is all-inclusive. Everything. He is the fullness of the Godhead. It all dwells in Him bodily. Right? So, He is the embodiment of everything. If you have Christ, you have it all. If you don't have Christ, you don't have anything. It's, it's, it's that way. He is the total package. He's like one of these mega vitamin pills that uh, you only take one. You don't need a supplement. You just take one. It contains it all. Okay? I, I know there's no such pill, but it, it, that's the way he is. Right? 
sometimes we used to refer to him as the all-inclusive dose. Right. Right. Just take, just swallow him, and you got all of God and all of uplifted, resurrected humanity. You see why he's all-inclusive. Okay. Uh, you need to see that his name is unique and his name is all inclusive. That's why it's so serious. Then, uh, in Ephesians 1 20 and 21, it says, Which he wrought in Christ, God did this, which he wrought in Christ, in raising him from among the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavenlies. Listen to this far above all. These three words, I'd like you to underline them. Yeah, underline them. Far above all. What is, he, what is he far above all? He's far above all rule and authority and power and lordship. That, that, that's a pretty broad spectrum, right? But listen, there's an and here. Comma, and. He's above what? Every name that is named. He is not above it. He is far above. Don't, don't rank anything. Don't even put it in the neighborhood of Christ. Okay? He, he's not a notch above. He's not, the, he's not the, the, the next step. He's in a realm of his own. Okay? He's far above all. Every name. He is, he is unique. Okay, we must see this, and, and uh, I, I believe you do see this. And it, real Christians realize this, uh, but you know, uh, well, well, we'll get to this in a minute. Okay, uh, where are we? Okay, far above all, every name that is named. This shows here that if we allow anything to rank with Christ, you remember in the Gospels when uh, Peter and the brothers had the, uh, you know, Christ appeared to them and they saw Moses on one side and Elijah on right, the other. Right. And they, you know, you know, Peter was all excited because it, this represented the law, Moses, the prophets, uh, and Elijah. And here's Christ representing the Son of God. Moses had it all. So he wanted to build three tabernacles, one for Moses, one for Elijah, one for Christ. That's wonderful. Aren't these the best Old Testament characters? They're, yeah, hard to beat Moses. How can you beat Moses? And Elijah was surely, surely an exceptional prophet, right? Only one thing. He put him in the neighborhood of Christ. In his heart, I don't believe that they equaled Christ to him, but he, he got him too close. So God reacted to that. He reacted to that. A voice came out of that cloud. And those guys disappeared. God wiped them away. <laughs> yeah, right. He wiped them away and he said, this is my son. These guys are just my servants. This is my son. Hear him only. See? So don't rank anything with Christ. Christ's name must never be insulted. That was an insult to God. This invoked a reaction from God. Uh, Moses is great. You know, Moses is he's, he's, uh, he's one of the two witnesses that appears in Revelation during the Great Tribulation. God really uh, prepared Moses and used him mightily and spared him. And will, you know, they never found the body of Moses. You, you know that. And Elijah was raptured. Do you know, remember yeah. how Elijah was raptured? See, two bodies not accounted for. This is because God 
took, spared these bodies in a miraculous way because they reappear on the earth during the Great Tribulation as the two sons of oil. You see, uh, there's no, uh, that was all free. You don't need to <laughs> Free of charge. Okay, now. Uh, the point is, you, you can't you can't rank you can't rank anything. Don't don't even come close. You might say, oh, Peter was he wasn't he had good intentions and it, surely he surely Christ meant more. He he knew he had already said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the Living God. But you see, uh, he just infringed a little bit there, or maybe more than a little bit on the name of Christ. God was really reacting to that. Okay. Now, I say that because uh, we, uh, I have to be very honest with you in saying, sorry, but not only has the world really ranked Christ just as a figure among many other figures, and he has, in many cases, Jesus Christ is only an historical figure, uh, but Christians in, in another kind of line, they've also fallen into the trap and so the name of Christ has suffered some, some, uh, you say, some insult there, and this is a serious thing. And we have to be careful that we, we we never insult the name of Jesus Christ by what by ranking anything, uh, even getting it close is not right. No. See. Uh, you know. Uh, uh, my wife is here. She knows about this. Uh, you know, when uh, you have checks, when you get married, and you make out checks and so forth. You have to put the husband and wife, you know, both names on the check, unless you carry separate accounts, which we don't, which probably should have long ago, but we don't. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> Okay, but anyway, you know, it's, it's so funny. It's so funny. But do you, you know, uh, when my wife went to the bank, she put her name on there as Mrs. Don Looper, just like I was Mr. Don Looper. They didn't understand this. <laughs> they didn't understand it. Well, what's your name? She said, Mrs. Don Looper. She wouldn't. She took my name. You see, when she married me, she took my name. Just like when we married Christ, we took his name. Amen. You can call us believers, you can call us Christians, you can call us saints. There are some things that are legitimate, but if we if you go beyond that, sorry, that's too much. That's too much. You see, even uh, even in the physical sense, it's too much. My wife took my last name. You know what? She even took my first name. She took she took both names. See, she, yeah. You know what? You know what? Except for friends and people who know her, they don't even know what her first name is. Right. That means that means, as far as they are concerned, if they have to have any dealings with her, their only way they can contact her is through me. Right. I'm the only one. I'm the only one that uh, there's only a name. Look up you in the phone. See, that's right. That's right. So you see, uh, I thought that's not bad. That's not bad. See, that's not bad. But you know, uh, if if uh, her if if uh, if she kept her last name, and her last name was Heathcott, strange. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she if she kept her last name, and someone says, "What's your name?" She said, "Judy Heathcott." Oh, 
Uh, are you married? Yes. What's your husband's name? Don Looper. Oh, doesn't that sound strange? Two different names. You see. Now, you, is this an insult to me that my wife doesn't feel compelled to take my name only? She wouldn't ditch Heathcott and she wouldn't take Looper. You know, this is a, a kind of a British tradition. Have you ever seen the hyphenated last names? I, I don't know. I, why? You tell me why this started. You see, hyphenated. This means you kept, you kept, you kept uh, the old, you kept part your your last name. You hyphenated it, and then you uh, you added one to it. So now you're uh, so and so. You know, Jesse Penn Lewis was a hyphenated last name. Yeah, Penn Lewis is hyphenated uh, in the primogenitor culture of England where you had large estates that where first names were kept on an ongoing basis and you you could never subdivide property you know the firstborn got it all and anybody after that got nothing right well to keep the family name alive I think this is how they would do it so I doubt if she kept I doubt if her name was Jesse Penn and she married somebody named Lewis but probably uh, who she married was Penn Lewis Right. handed down. I don't know. I'm just taking a guess. Okay. Anyway, it's so-and-so dash. That means they kept their old and added a new. You see, you have two names. Now, the two names together form one last name. That's an insult to the person who you married. Do you follow me? They wouldn't fully adopt your last name. I know it's traditional. I know it's British. I know it. But anyway, at least in God's eyes, that's not so not so proper but that's only human so we can let that slide but spiritually speaking we can't let it slide we either uh, acknowledge and own and and are under the banner of the name of Christ only or we 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 damage it we insult it okay this is what it means about what not denying his name we cannot deny his name uh, this verse here, the next one in 1 Corinthians 1.13, has Christ been divided? No. 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 Was Paul crucified for you? No. Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? No. These are names here. You see, Paul was Paul revolted at the thought that his name would be used in any kind of context like this. So he's he is insulted. Paul is insulted. Don't put me. Were you baptized? Into, he said, I thank God I baptized none of you except uh, maybe it was Crispus only. And then one other person, you see. Other than that, I baptized nobody for, because God did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel. Right? That was his testimony. Lest someone would say they were baptized in the name of Paul, which is a lie. Okay? So you see, uh, this has occurred. And sorry to say... Uh, in the fall of man the matter of naming things has slipped into the Christian mindset to some degree so that we are <laughs> we fall into a trap of naming things that's why that's why in this book that we read some of the names it sounds a little silly you see but w you have to name it if you know one of the one of the reasons why people think we're not we don't talk straightforward it's like I mentioned earlier there are some things we just don't have answers for 
Like, what church do you belong to? How do you answer a question like that unless you say the same one you do? And they say, well, which one is that? The same one Paul did. Which one is that? There is only one church. The Bible says there is one church, one body, and one spirit. It's, that's all it says, you see. It does not say that there, you know, that you belong to the predestinary, uh, amillennial, uh, predestination, uh, what what type of church. It doesn't say that. It just gives us a simple name, and we can't let anything in, encroach upon that. You see. Uh, <clears throat> I would say I would say here, due to the uh, multiplying of names, uh, we have to be careful. And I'd like to offer a couple things that uh, I think might help clear us up. Number one, why have names uh, proliferated uh, in this century, Christian names? And I would say, first of all, because we left what we talked about earlier, and that is the uniqueness and all-inclusiveness of Christ was not fully appreciated. Therefore, it did not seem to be such a spiritual crime to bring in something and add it to the name of Christ. Okay, I think that's the main thing. For example, uh, here are what I call the three big enemies that have uh, caused the name to lose its uniqueness and its all-inclusiveness. You know what the first one is? You don't think I'm going to write down bad things. These are all good things, okay? The first one is doctrines. Okay? Doctrines. When you have to believe certain doctrinal things in order to identify with some worship group, then that's not Philadelphia. Okay? Now, let me ask you a question, Steve, reader. Let me ask, do you believe in baptism by immersion? Yes, I do. Okay. You see, that's scriptural, right? According to our best understanding of the Bible. Do you believe in baptism by immersion? Yes. Okay. But if you... If you would say that would make me a baptism by immersion person or a Baptist, then you uh, you adopt a name that does not necessarily equal Christ, but it infringes upon the name of Christ. This is serious. It's a serious thing. Okay. Because why? There's a doctrine of uh, a certain type of baptism. And this can go on. This is why one of the pl things we read was a predestinarian. A thing. Okay, do you believe in predestination or do you believe yeah. in uh, free will? Yeah. If you're free will, you go this way. If you're predestination, you go that way. That's, that's the way it was set up, you see. Okay, uh, doctrines, we have to say, have been, if you camp around doctrines, you will be caught. Man, Christians have been caught by doctrines that were not necessarily related to the person of Christ or the work of Christ. Okay? Number two, the thing that have brought, that have, uh, that has really stirred up a lot of names are practices. Various Christian practices. Okay? Uh, a lot of this, a lot of this is seen 
you can't you can't function as the assembly without certain kinds of practices but are these practices something that are traditional ingrained un unchangeable you see or is it just something as a vehicle for the Lord temporarily and can be changed and are totally flexible because however the spirit leads that's okay you see if the practice is not that way but it never it's instead it's put in it's written in cement then there's a problem you see the the, the practices have gone too far Okay, if you have to do it a certain certain way, like you know, one denomination is when you reach age 13, you are baptized if you come up with the right answers. That's a practice. That is not a move, a work of the spirit. That's an ingrained practice. Okay, it may be good, but it may not be good. It may be real and it may be false. Nevertheless, it's done. See. Then uh, I would say. The other one is personalities. A lot of groups camping around a prevailing personality. This is a real danger. So that uh, congregations have sprung up all over the world. Why? Because they wanted to go to be under the direct speaking of some really charismatic personality that was very eloquent, very knowledgeable, very, uh, very in every way prevailing and uh, so forth. And, and compared to the guy across town, uh, there was just no contest. And so people coalesced around personalities. And uh, uh, this is why this you, you would say you would say you could say this is why they were there is because they just enjoyed that particular personality so much. It wasn't a matter of Christ; it was a matter of that personality. Or you could say it this way: that personality was a big factor. You see. Now, if I let's say I'm a personality, if my job and if my ministry to you is just to minister Christ, is just to dispense Christ for the building up of his body, then I am being a proper member of the body. Okay? But if, it, but if, but if uh, in any way I see people gathering around me because they seem to like something other than just that, and I would encourage that either explicitly or implicitly, I would encourage that, then you see I begin to touch his name. Most people would never think about it, but it affects the Lord's name. My name is getting a little bit too much to the front. It's not outward. It's not even spoken. But nevertheless, people, people would say, talk about your name quite a bit. You know what Philadelphia is characterized by? People who enjoy and speak the name of the Lord Jesus Christ so much that it is just crystal clear that to them there is no other name given to men under heaven. Okay, they're that clear. Philadelphia is characterized by a prolific speaking, praying, praising of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are having that experience you're in, you're, you are in the middle of a characteristic of Philadelphia. Yeah, if you're not, there's a question mark there. 
You know, when I came into the church, regardless of whatever question or whatever line of some kind of prophecy or whatever we got into, yeah. the thing that always dominated things was was the praying, praising, and singing about Jesus Christ. Amen. And, when, and so when anybody would say something that, oh, well, we exalt someone else, I, I, I would just say... I would say you're, you're talking to the to myself. You're talking to the wrong person. I know what's going on. Okay, I know what's going. On. I know what name is exalted. Don't say we are. Don't don't even think that there is there is this kind of a thing. No, the name that is exalted. You, you come to the Lord's table sometime. You know the brethren's Lord table was characterized by the praise and worship to Christ. In the Lord's table. You just consider, do we render the Lord Jesus the real praise? Is His name just bouncing around all the saints? You see, are we really having the echo of Christ all over the place? If so, that's proper. But I'll tell you, if you go to a traditional, old, conventional type Lord's table, I'll tell you, you could be there, you could drink the uh, wine, you could eat the bread, you could sit in the chair, sit in the pew, whatever, and the, the name of Christ would be mentioned, but it would be formal, it would be organized, it would be planned, it would be rehearsed, it would not be a living reality, but the name of Christ is a living reality. Right? Okay. Uh, I would say, in this way, I would just like to mention, first of all, after I got saved, concerning the matter of oneness, I had no consciousness of it. If somebody said, well, what are you, religiously speaking? I would say, I would say, I'm a... Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Catholic, whatever. Okay, I would, I said, I not only would have, I did it. And it didn't bother me a bit. But you see, then I started reading my Bible and I started meeting other people and I said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's something wrong here. There's, there are some other Christians. And you see, gradually I began to have this little tinge of guilt that I'm not being so proper. And today people are like that. You know, so many, so many people that are Christians or at least nominally Christians... Uh, they have no consciousness of it at all. They really don't see that it's a problem to be under the banner of another name. It just doesn't mean anything. They would say, it only, the only thing that means anything is your personal relationship to Christ or your personal relationship to God. This other stuff doesn't mean anything, you see. Well, if it doesn't mean anything, then we just have to throw the body, which is what Christ came to produce. We have to throw it away. Because those names are going to keep it from being built up. You say, ah, oh, it's nothing, it's nothing. Okay, then drop it. They say, I can't do that. If you can't, then it is something, isn't it? Oh, no, no, it's not anything. Then drop it if it's not anything. I can't do that. Why? It causes problems. God get in trouble. Then it does mean something, doesn't it? No, 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 no. Then, then how can you get in trouble if it doesn't mean anything? See, there's something there. There's something there. So either somebody has no consciousness, that's one level. I was on that level at one time. Or they start to have some uh, little conscience problems, little tinges of, uh, of awareness in the conscience. 
uh, this is not this is not right. This is good. So you say, what are you? Have you ever seen a person try to struggle and tell you, answer this question? They say, and you find out they're a Christian, and and they say, well, uh, they want to say, well, what, uh, you know, they they say some kind of question like, where do you go to church, or what do you believe, or something like that. Uh, but mostly, where do you go to church, or, you know, that would be a typical way of saying it. Have you ever seen a person that's begun to get aware of this problem struggle through an answer like that? Well, I go to, uh, they'll say something like, I go to uh, such and such, uh, but that's uh, but that's not really, you know, what I believe. I mean, I'm just really a Christian like you are, uh, but I go to, in other words, you see, it's, it's really a problem, isn't it? There's a struggle going on. You know why they're getting the, uh, some light has come to them. Some light has come to them. See, one day when the full day, uh, the full day comes and the sun shines brightly, not only no consciousness, not only some consciousness. Eventually, they will just feel fully enlightened and they'll reject all of that. They'll just they'll just bail out of all of that kind of system. They'll bail out because they'll reject it. You see. You know, if, he's, if you'll reject everything and do this one thing, not deny his name in the way I'm trying to talk about comprehensively, not deny his name, that means you're experiencing Philadelphia. You follow me? Philadelphia releases all of God's people from traditional, religious, and organizational things. That's the nature of Philadelphia. You know what? I can say this to you, and most of you are saying, praise the Lord. But you believe me, if I said this nearly any other place, if somebody had an egg, they would have already thrown it. This is not popular. But it is the truth. I honestly, thoroughly, and have no reservations to say it's the truth. Okay, let's go right along here quickly. Uh... Behold, this is number 10, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan. Wow. Now, do you think these are evil people or are these religious, religious people? What kind of people are these? These are the religious people of that day, of Paul's day, and God called them the synagogue, not of religion, not of worship, but of Satan. Don't think religion was okay. No. The biggest opposer of Christ was religion. Synagogue of Satan. Hmm. Those who call themselves Jews. That's God's people, aren't Jews? God's people call themselves Jews and are not. Why are they're, they're not Jews. Why? Because they're not real. They may be Jews in the flesh, but they're not really according to God. Therefore, they're off. And are not, listen to this, but lie. How can somebody that calls themselves, uh, you know, a person of God, belonging to God's people, be a liar? They lie. This says right here, they lie. But lie. They say one thing, but they're lying. Can you believe? Do you think a Christian can lie? Yes. <laughs> anyway, the Bible thinks it can be done. Okay, but lie. Because 
<clears throat> no, behold, I will cause them to come and worship before your feet, and they shall know that I have loved you. I want to just point out two quick things here. Number one, there's a principle here that you can see that there is a fierce opposition to Philadelphia. Something called the synagogue of Satan that is lying and doing something that is destructive in nature to Philadelphia. So there is fierce opposition. But the Lord says that He's going to cause them to do something and that is to come and worship before the feet of the ones who belong to Philadelphia. And they will know that the Lord loved them. Amen. They were saying, you're out of it. They were saying, this, this. They were saying, you're heretical. They are saying, you're too much. They are saying, you've gone too far. They are saying, you're outside the mainstream. But the Lord is going to say, I loved them. Amen. The Lord doesn't care what the others said. He's going to take a stand one day. He's going to take the stand that Philadelphia was the, the entity upon my heart. And I am going to come back to her. And I want them to know that I loved you. This is the reality of Philadelphia. He, he will. The question is, when will he do this? Well, I think, logically speaking, we'll expect him to do this at his coming. Right? At his coming. Uh, maybe to some little extent, we get uh, occasional uh, foretaste of this. Just like the brethren did back when uh, people would say such ugly things about them last century. But they would, they would admit, they would admit they are people who know the Bible. They would admit they are people who seem to have the, the most uh, shining testimony for Christ. Yeah. They would admit they seem to be the most consecrated, the most absolute people. They would admit that, you see. If we can give a testimony, even, even if, uh, it, you know, uh, uh, opposition is going to come. The Lord said that, you know, it's going to come. It's just woe to the person that brings it, you know. But it's going to come. It's going to come. There's no doubt about that. But you know what? Sometimes we get a, we get a little good report. You know, Paul says in good report and in bad report. So, you know, it's good to have a, a good report occasionally. That is... Well, even if I don't, I disagree, Tim, you're, I disagree, you're too much, you're too absolute, you're too overboard, you're too crazy, you're not normal enough, you don't, you don't do this, you don't do that, you're, 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 you know, you're unbalanced, you know, whatever a friend or a relative might tend to say. But you know, sometimes when, they, when you're not there and they're around some people or some Christian friends, you know what? It's amazing they have some good things to say. They're talking about the Bible. They're talking about God and so forth. He says, well, what all y'all are saying is good, but uh, if you only knew my son, you'd realize it's a lot more than what you think it is. Boy, you just can't imagine how much they know. and You can't imagine how rich uh, the Word is to them. They can take any topic that you can name, and boy, they can sit down and uh, have rich fellowship about that, and they know all the verses. 
oh, this was a good prayer meeting. You should have been in the one that my son was in. They prayed for an hour and a half. And you know what? All of them prayed. Man, that was so prevailing. You know, when I was teaching uh, 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 in secondary school one year uh, in Houston, uh, there was a man on a, a, a teacher, a brother, who was a teacher, and he had been a uh, he had been a Baptist uh, preacher, and he was older now and uh, had. Uh, through circumstances and so forth, he'd end up going back and becoming a teacher, you know, later on in life. And so uh, when I found out he was a Christian, or we found out together, we had some fellowship and so forth. And so one day after school, we went to get some coffee together and so forth. I, I tried to beg out of it. I, I didn't have time. But uh, he said, oh, come on, oh, come on. I said, okay, all right. And uh, so he went, and boy, he... he he was really a negative person because he'd had some bad experiences. That's why he's a school teacher. Then, I don't think that sounded right. Let's see. <laughs> he had some bad experiences. That's why he's a school teacher. No, that's not the way I meant to say it. <laughs> he had some bad experiences and he needed another means of employment, and so he became a school teacher. How about that? Okay. Anyway, he was teaching school. And and uh, so I, I said, well, why don't you come meet with us? <laughs> because all he could say was negative stuff about where he where he'd been. Boy, he was really negative. Some people evidently gave him some real criticism for what he tried to do. So I said, well, why don't you come meet with us? And uh, I just dismissed it kind of casually like that. And you know, he showed up. Uh, we prayed on Wednesday nights. And he showed up for our Wednesday night prayer meeting. And he walked in there. I saw him. I said, oh, wow. <laughs> and he was a prayer. I said, what, what in the world will he ever think of our prayer meeting? Because, you know, we tend to uh, go ahead and let it, you know, let it all rip right in the prayer meeting. And uh, he, he was there and so forth. And I, I did, some others talked to him after the meeting. I kind of avoided him intentionally. And then... And then the next day, he talked to another uh, teacher, who, a man teacher, who was also a brother, that we had been having some fellowship. And, and so I heard this secondhand from this other guy. He said, he said, last night, he said, last night, I went to the most Christ-centered prayer meeting I've been to in my whole life. Don't you, wasn't that encouraging? Really? It was. Really? We just, I don't even remember the prayer, I mean, what we prayed about. But it touched him, boy. Hit him, it hit him deep. Where are we? Well, oh, this is where the Lord vindicates about, uh, he'll let them know that he loved Philadelphia. Well, let's, we, 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 we are not waiting for that in this age, but sometimes we get a little foretaste of the Lord loving Philadelphia, right? Okay, quickly. Uh, because you have kept the word of my endurance, I will also keep you out of the hour of trial which is about to come on the whole inhabited earth to try them who dwell on the earth. And here, 
uh, I, I think maybe with this one we don't need to spend much time. Uh, the word of his endurance is just the willingness to endure the persecution just as Jesus did uh, and was faithful to the end. That's the word of his endurance. And there are some verses here that uh, kind of bring this out and so forth. But let me tell you this. If you endure, you will reign with him. Right? That's in uh, 2 Timothy 2.12. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. Listen, saints. If we'll just be faithful, if we'll pay the price, if we'll, if we'll just, what? Be, 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 hang in there. Just stay with it. Endure. Persevere. Whatever word is best to describe it. If we will do that, then we will reign with him. This means we'll be the overcomers in the kingdom to be co-kings with him. Listen to this. The Lord says uh, about that, I will keep you out of the hour of trial. Not just out of the trial, but the hour of it that comes upon the whole earth. You know what this is? If we're faithful to him, listen, before, before, before the great tribulation, that's the hour of trial, we will be raptured out of here. The reward is the early rapture out of here and the trial that comes on the whole earth, we are away from. Amen. Not only that, we're, we're according to uh, what I put, Revelation 14 here, uh, down at the end, this is, this is the new song that, uh, that's being sung by those who are raptured that have become first fruits to God and to the Lamb. The 144,000 that were purchased from the earth. This is the rapture of the living overcomers. These are not the ones who've already fallen asleep in the Lord. That's a larger and different category. Okay? These are the first fruits to God. Well, is this a fair trade? You endure and He rewards. Amen. You hang in and He'll rapture you. Amen. You'll get out of the tribulation. But more than that, you will go to the throne in Mount Zion and, and enjoy the Lord before He comes to earth. And He will enjoy you as a first fruit before He takes care of the rest of the fruit. Isn't that wonderful? A wonderful rapture. It's, it's, it's worth it. A little enduring is worth it. Not, you, you, you can never say the Lord's not fair. He is, he's so generous, it's a little staggering. Right. Okay, uh, then uh, 12. I come quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no man take your crown. I've already alluded to this verse several times. I come quickly. Hold fast. Hold fast means what? It means the bride is prepared. Otherwise, it would say endeavor to become. Here it just says hold fast. This means it's already arrived. So to Philadelphia, the Lord's word is hang it, stay there, don't give it up. Just make it like it is and you will, you will get your crown. Hold fast. Philadelphia has arrived. Listen, the Lord is preparing His bride and it's not like that uh, uh, it's just not going to happen until He comes back. No. You know, when the brethren failed, yeah. 
and, and uh, they realized they were not fulfilling God's purpose, a doctrine slipped in uh, and they had to try to substantiate in the Bible, which it was very difficult to do. But that was that on this earth it's not possible to be the glorious bride prepared and, uh, until the Lord comes, you see. This was a defeatist attitude because of their personal experience. But the Bible says definitely right here that it says, I come quickly, hold fast. This is before he comes. Hold fast. Philadelphia is prepared and before the Lord comes, he wants it to exist for at least a period of time as a testimony to the principalities and powers and to, the, and to earth that he has produced on this earth his glorious church. So hold fast. And he says, I come quickly. He doesn't say, I come. If he says, I come, that doesn't tell you when. Quickly uh, puts a note of eager expectation in it. I am coming quickly. I'm on my way. I am a bridegroom getting really anxious for this marriage. I come quickly. You're prepared. Uh, you want it. I want it. We're gonna, there's going to be this wonderful wedding feast. I come quickly. This is the loving, eager response of Christ to come and gain His bride. Right? Of course, you get a crown, which we don't have time to cover the crown. Let's go on to the next page. Yeah, I'll finish fine. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall by no means go out anymore. Okay, I'd just like to take a little time to just uh, say, what does it mean to be a pillar in the temple of God? Would you like to be a pillar in the yes. temple of God? Yes. And not go out anymore? Yes. Oh, this is Philadelphia's people who become pillars. Amen. Pillars. I hope you are really have an ambition, an aspiration, a strong desire. Not to be a great spiritual giant, but to be a pillar in the temple of God. Amen. Okay? Okay, first of all, Galatians 2.9. In perceiving the grace given to me... James and Cephas and John, who were who were reputed to be pillars. I just want to show you that the word pillar mentioned in Revelation has uh, in the New Testament time that the saints were thought of, certain saints were thought of as pillars. That's why we need to aspire to be pillars. Okay, what is a pillar? A pillar is a supporting structure for a house. It is a pillar. It supports. It bears the weight. It bears the burden. My point is this. You can be one of two types of Christians. There's a type of Christian you can be where it is, well, God blesses me, God blessed me, God did this for me. A type of Christian where it's always you're the receiving one. Right. Or you can be the type of Christian who... Uh, is one with the Lord, gives himself to the Lord, and bears the responsibility for the Lord's testimony. If you will bear the responsibility for him, then you are a pillar. If you only are a receiver, you are a Christian, but you're not a pillar. You do not bear the burden. You receive the blessing, but you don't bear the burden. That's not Philadelphia. Is that clear? 
teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man how full grown amen in Christ full grown you see to be a pillar is to be mature mature don't don't we all want to mature we should not stay like this next verse babes this is mature full grown versus babes look at the next verse that we be no longer babes tossed by waves and carried about by every wind of teaching full grown versus babes the New Testament always likes to contrast babes and growth okay otherwise we couldn't be a pillar a pillar is not a babe. Do you think a babe can bear responsibility? You know, I have uh, a grandson, not even two months old, somewhere around here today. He bears no responsibility. He only demands and receives. He receives love. He receives uh, milk. He receives all of his, need, his needs. Uh, no one, he does, he does nothing. He does not one thing except demand that his needs be met. He's a demanding boy. What if he what if he grows up to be just like that? Bears no responsibility. Terrible. Do you realize some Christians began receiving and they never have done anything to bear responsibility but they just hope the Lord meets them in this need or that need or this crisis or that crisis and the thought that they could be a pillar in the move of God to produce a church hasn't registered. See, we need to, not a babe. A babe is tossed, you see. A babe is forever, it's, you know, if you're mature, nothing affects you. That, that's a mark of being a pillar. Nothing affects you. Steve, what if, what if I say, oh, Steve, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about this version of the Bible you got here. I, I, you know, I'm, I, I believe any version that has that many footnotes uh, uh, is, is definitely... Uh, hmm, uh, uh, this... Well, you, you can't, you can't, you see? Now, I, I'm not going to call myself mature, but on, on some little dinky point like this, uh, you're talking to the wrong person. I mean, don't, don't talk nonsense, okay? I mean, you, one lady, one lady, she was a mother of one of the sisters that we caught off the University of Houston campus. You know, she called me one night because she was upset her daughter was in this group that was not part of the traditional group she was in or they were you had that she had, they'd both been in she called me she called me and uh, was complaining about something I couldn't remember and I said well you know we just try to go by the truth and uh, I, I sh whatever point it was I shared some verses and she says yes Yes, but let me read you the words of Jesus. That's the Gospels. I said, okay. Uh, and, and, and she said, Jesus said so-and-so. And I said, well, Paul said so-and-so. She said, well, I'm going to take the words of Jesus. I don't care what you, if you take the words of Paul. Can you, can you believe that? 
That happened. No, that happened. So, what, what do you do? If a person cannot realize that Paul's interpretation of the words of Jesus is the interpretation and not yours or mine, then we're lost. Right? We're really in bad shape. She couldn't see the most simple thing that Paul's interpretation of the words of the Lord Jesus was the interpretation. Can you believe that? She, she would reject that and just take the words of Jesus and put herself higher than Paul. That was a fact of it. Okay, this it was wild. You know what? She was tossed when she she was so tossed. Right? Silly, silly. This is this is so silly. Right? No. A mature person, nothing can shake them. Nothing can shake them. Let them say something nasty. Let them be ugly. You'll just be impervious to it. Okay? <laughs> Why? Because you're mature. You're a pillar. A pillar is very solid. Very weighty. I think you get the point. Okay? Uh, then the point where it says, uh, and he shall by no means go out anymore. The point there is, can you believe this? I like this point. He shall by no means go out anymore. H how do you like that? I like that. If you can go out, take off. If you can't, that's a sign that something has happened inside of you that for you to leave is almost... Is almost yeah. It's, it it, it uh, you would leave your being here and you would take your physical body somewhere. Then you can go. You can't go out. This is a kind of a maturity, a transformation. You see where uh, it's not just I'm afraid to go out, or that's part of you know people. People have accused us. Well, we trap people and we hold people. And we no, no. You see, the the thought. Well, we're here. Oh, well, we got a hold of Troy, and we'll never let. We, you know, we'll we'll uh, we'll kidnap we'll kidnap him. We'll hide him in the attic. Who knows what we'll do with him? No, I'll tell anybody if you can. No. If, 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 if I told, just like I said, if you go somewhere and the spirit bears witness and says, Tim, be here. I said, be there. That's all. Leave it. Let it go. We're not here to play a game. We're not here to be outward, external, false, and fake. Right? No, this is not Philadelphia. Philadelphia is real. You, okay. Just let it go. And that all, it be in all simplicity. Don't make anything complicated. Okay, I like the last one. A pillar is Second Timothy four eleven. Luke alone is with me. Take Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for the ministry. A pillar is somebody that's useful for the ministry. Hallelujah! You know what I like about this is that Mark started out not useful and ended up very useful. He, was, he accompanied Paul and Silas on that first journey they took, and he didn't do so well. And Paul basically sent him back home. <laughs> and some of the others in the New Testament that seemed to do pretty well, that you see their names mentioned later on, they kind of fell by the wayside. And Mark learned some kind of strong spiritual lesson 
and late in Paul's life, Paul uh, singles him out as somebody who is useful for the ministry. Isn't that wonderful? I, li- I like I like Mark because because uh, he's more typical of somebody like us who we, we, you know we've bumped our heads along the way. But look at the look at the end. He's just so useful Amen. for the ministry. Hallelujah. Right? Okay, that's what a pillar is. Uh, in some aspects, we certainly couldn't exhaust them all. Then, lastly, is Roman numeral 14. And I will write upon him three names. The name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which descends out of heaven from my God, and my new name. So, this is a writing of names, or uh, three aspects of, of the name, and that's A, B, and C. First of all, I just would like us all to be under the same concept of what a name is, okay? And that is, in a simple way, let me define it in my way. A name is simply a designation of what you are. That's what a name is, okay? This is a horse, that's a name, that's a horse. That's what what a horse is, right? This is a chair, that's what this is, okay? I, I don't call this a bicycle. Okay, a name designates what you are. Okay. Now, A is uh, that we are going to have written upon us. Let this sink in. God, through the Spirit, like it says in 2 Corinthians, this no doubt is, is His writing with the spiritual ink, that's the Spirit, on the fleshy tablets of the heart. There's a writing going on. And God is going to write on us. Not externally, but in a way that is living and is His testimony. He's going to write three things on us. These three things are characteristics of Philadelphia. A, He's going to write the name of His God. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who operates in you both the willing and the working for His good pleasure. God operating inside of you and me. Is He operating in you? Amen. Paul wrote Philippians testifying, God, it is God who operates in you Philippians, both the willing and the doing. You know, other than willing and doing, there's not a lot to say. You, either, you, have, to, you have to have the will to do it, and then you have to do it. And he says God does both of those. Not bad. Not a not not bad activity for the trying God, right? Would you say God is being worked into somebody who's experiencing that? Yes. God is operating inside his believing ones to will and to work. His good pleasure. Amazing. It's amazing. This is the dispensation of grace. It's truly amazing. Isn't it? Then look at the next verse. Paul, testifying for himself and his co-workers, says, For we are not able to do anything against the truth, but for the truth. 
Can you believe a person could get to the point that he couldn't do anything against the truth? It was it was out of the question. But he only could do things that were for the truth. That was his constitution. That was his being. That was his situation. What 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 does this say? This shows a thorough. Uh, magnificent and I hate to use the word total but as close as total as a mortal man can get of a mingling and a oneness with God himself so this person has the name of God written upon them because he is so mingled and one and saturated with what God is that the triune God has become his constitution and spiritual fiber. Isn't that amazing? God can be so much to a person. Isn't it something? The Father can be so much to a believer. Isn't it amazing? I think, I think it's staggering. It, it staggers me. It humbles me and it shocks me. And it inspires me. It does a lot of things. It, it, look, you could get to a point where you, that you can do nothing against the truth, only for the truth. That man is soaked with the riches of Christ. Soaked. Every cell of his body is soaked. Then B, the name of the New Jerusalem. That's wonderful. Because the name of the New Jerusalem is the city of God which descends out of heaven from God. And to have the name of the city of, of the New Jerusalem means that God's purpose, which is to consummate in the New Jerusalem for eternity, God's purpose is thoroughly permeated your being. Thoroughly permeated. Uh, this first verse here, I don't have it. Uh, mine's a typo. Can you all read 1 Corinthians 1.22? Who has sealed us and given the pledge of the Spirit in our hearts. See, the New Jerusalem is in the future. But the pledge of all the things in the future, or you can use the word foretaste, they're interchangeable right. in Greek. The down payment is another pledge, foretaste, down payment. The down payment we already have which is the Spirit giving us the foretaste of all of the coming realities, consummated by the New Jerusalem, which is God's dwelling, God and man's dwelling place for eternity. We have that. We have all of that. And he writes that upon us. If you ever read, which is the reason I put Revelation 21 and 22, I, we can't write both two chapters out, right? But if you read that, you will see that every verse in there, basically, I, I, it's not easy to find many verses that don't point out certain aspects or description of the New Jerusalem. How big it is, how wide it is, how tall it is, what it looks like, what's in there, what the, all kind of things. Okay? All of those, all of those items are pictures of Christ. And Christ can be experienced now in all of those aspects in foretaste form. Amen. 
For example, look at the next verse, 22.1, is in this in the last two chapters in the New Jerusalem. And He showed me a river of water of life. Is that for the future? Yes. Is it also for now? Yes. Yes, it's a picture. We experience Christ as what? Yeah, yeah He's the water of life. Right? He's not just the water of life then. In John, the Lord testified that He would be living water. He would be a well of living water springing up. See, we get to experience all the aspects. Look, and it says, uh, proceeding out of the throne of God. Do we get to experience the throne now? Yes. Anytime we touch God Himself, we come under His authority. That's His throne, right? And it's the throne of the Lamb. Do we experience the Lamb in this age? Yeah. Absolutely. If you don't experience the Lamb, you don't experience God, because. The Lamb is the way. So it's not just for then. We get the, the full taste is then, but we have the foretaste now. This is what it means to get the New Jerusalem. All of the aspects there, if, you, if, you, if we had the time, and we're going to do this pretty soon, I think not this college conference, maybe the next one, uh, we'll go into every detail of the New Jerusalem, one at a time. <laughs> without rush. I, at least if the Lord wills. I, that's what I want to do. If the Lord wills, that's what we do. Well, do you, don't you like the New Jerusalem written? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do too. Well, man, what's in there is, is just too fantastic. Then, the last one is my new name. My new name. Christ said that he was going to put his new name but the funny thing is he doesn't tell you what it is but it's new so we got to figure we got to figure this out okay the first verse Romans 8:29 says because whom he foreknew he also predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son that he should be the firstborn among many brothers to be conformed to the image of His Son is the portion and the heritage of every believer. That's general. All believers will be conformed to the image of Christ. Okay? No exceptions to that. However, I would like to point up the fact that I believe illustrates the new name of Christ. Okay. And that is that the new name of Christ is simply this, is the experience of the believing one, the lover of the Lord Jesus. It's the experience of Christ that is so real, sweet, precious, and especially personal to that person that it is not exactly duplicated in any other person. That's how much Christ there is. Okay. So it's new, real, sweet, and precious, and very personal, so that the name is not exactly the same that would appear on each person. But rather it would be a reflection of the intimate personal experiences that you have with Christ that would be somewhat unique to you. 
versus the general operation of God in your being to conform you to his image which is for every believer. Do you understand me? Yep. It's new. Right. It's so new and living to you because it's yours. Amen. Okay. For example, in Revelation 21, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations. See, this is this 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 shows you a picture of it. And on them 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. These were 12 foundations and they were 12 brothers and they were 12 different brothers. Right, Matthew, Mark, you know, the, the, the crew, Bartholomew, James, Peter, Andrew, okay. They were the 12 apostles of the Lamb, and they were the foundations. Do you think they all were exactly alike? You think they're all experience of Christ is all exactly alike? No, the two epistles of Peter does not read like the epistle of James. And they do not read like the epistles of Paul, though he's not included in the twelve. But there's a difference in there. Right? Matthew does not read like John, does it? So you see, there's a lot of aspects to Christ, aren't there? Here we have a general confirmation to his image, and we have a special or a particular uh, aspect that each believer gets to have in his personal experience of Christ. Look at the next verse uh, in the same chapter. It says the foundations, which again refers back to the ones we just read about, which are 12 different apostles. It says the foundations of the city were adorned with every precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophrase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. All those stones are just the same? No. But are they all precious stones? Yes. But you see there's a little variety here in there. That's right. Christ, this is the body. This is Philadelphia. If you see this, you see Philadelphia. If all you see is how I can be better spiritually, personally, you don't see Philadelphia. Philadelphia is this. Okay? It's this working together, coordinating together in spirit and in life to be the living testimony. That's the line of Philadelphia. And that's what will... Uh, elicit the response from Christ I come quickly and the only thing left I can say to you is he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches amen okay we kept the time transformation is operating in me God operates in me to will and to do. Or maybe I just lucked out. I'm not sure. Well, I enjoyed this so much I want to go over it all again. Yeah. <laughs>